the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a live call-in radio program, The Word to Stand On for Life. And it is a program dedicated to answering your phone calls, taking your questions, and doing the best that we can to share more about Jesus. Let me give you the phone numbers. If you have a question, 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app if you are driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected to our studio producer. Tonight here at the church, I will be teaching 1 Kings chapter 3. And it is really, really an important one, instructive one. And... Um, you can watch it at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Or we don't have big crowds on Wednesday nights. You can join us here live and meet some of the neatest people in the whole world. And, of course, tomorrow Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first one says, and it's anonymous, Hello, Pastor Ron. I'm a 33-year-old single woman with a desire to be married. I've been walking faithfully with the Lord for 10 years and have been waiting on the Lord to bring someone into my life for just as long. I'm starting to get discouraged and lose hope that I will ever find a godly man to marry. It's hard watching so many around me get married and start families while I wonder if that will ever be me. Do you have any advice and encouragement for someone in my situation? Uh, I have a lot, and maybe some of it you won't find it really, really comforting to listen to, but but these are such important questions, so I appreciate you trusting me uh, with it. The desire to be married is a desire that God has put in your heart, and he didn't do that to pull the rug out from under your feet and trick you. Um, So here's what's happening. You're being prepared for a man that is being prepared for you. Now, keep in mind that all of these times of preparation are also times of of testing. You know, that's why we have trials in this world, at least one of the reasons we have trials in this world. It tests our faith. And so what you're doing here is is you're, 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 you've got a test in front of you, and you've got to be careful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it's required that every man, and in your case a woman, given a trust by God, must prove faithful. Now here's the question. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to uh, allow the enemy to discourage you? Are you going to lose hope? Or are you going to trust the Lord and continue to serve him faithfully? And these are tests that we all have. You know, there's a wonderful story 
that is akin to yours, not the same exactly, but but it's Hannah in First Samuel. Um, her husband had two wives. One wife could just pop out babies right and left, and she couldn't have a baby. And she was so forlorn, and she would cry out her heart to the Lord, which is okay to do for you as well. She was crying out for a baby. And God knew that she would be a mother, but he was preparing her to be a very special mother of a very special child. And, of course, we know Samuel, the judge, the prophet, was her son. She kept her promise to dedicate him, to give him to the Lord. And then the Lord gave her other children as well. All of that to say she was being prepared for a special son, not just any son. Well, you're being prepared by the Lord for something special. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to be faithful. Just keep walking with the Lord. Lord, if you don't do anything ever for me again, I love you because of what you've done for me. You need to be able to give thanks in everything. And right now, as a single woman, even though your desire is to be married, you can give thanks to God for the opportunity that he's given you to serve him in undivided with an undivided heart, with wholehearted devotion. So make the most of your singleness. Be content even where you are. Paul said he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. So be content where you are. But right now, what the enemy is doing, and your flesh is cooperating with him, but what the enemy is doing is he's challenging you. Do you really believe God is good? If God loved you, why wouldn't you have a husband by now? So these are important things for you to understand. These things are tests. And you said you've been walking faithfully with the Lord and have been waiting on the Lord. Are you serving in church? I mean, this is an opportunity if you're going to be single for another year or two years or three years. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to, to really demonstrate to others what wholehearted devotion is. Now, I'm not speaking for God here, so don't misunderstand. But, you know, I always tell people in times like this, it's possible that God is challenging you because that man you're waiting for is just around the corner. And so you can't lose hope. Your hope is not in a husband. Your hope is in Jesus and what you want to be able to do is say, Lord, I love you with an undying love. And I trust you. And then you got to be like Jesus and be able to say at the end of that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And if you can do that, then you're going to pass the test with flying color. So when you say you're starting to get discouraged, now's the time to fight. Don't look out, look up. I've seen too many women especially settle for ungodly men just because they were getting so frustrated and became so impatient. So continue to wait patiently. Now, one final thought, and I've held this because this is the thing that's troubling to me about your email. Anonymous, you say it's hard watching so many around you get married and start families while you wonder if that will ever be me. One of the things that we Christians have to do is rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, if you can't be happy for people who are enjoying the will of God in their lives, if if your thoughts turn to you, well, then you're not others-focused. You're really focused on your heart. And as difficult as this is to hear, we need to understand that it's not about you. It's about how God wants to use you to be a blessing in others. So if you have a hard time, I've had the same conversation with a lot of women who wanted babies and weren't able to have them. If you can't rejoice with people who are rejoicing, then your focus is completely wrong. So with all of that, I want you to remember what I said at the beginning. God put this desire in your heart. He didn't do it to frustrate you or to trick you. He did it because he's preparing you for somebody who is at this very moment being prepared by God for you. So abandon yourself to the Lord. Serve him. Serve your church. 
And as you're doing that, just wait and see what the Lord will do. And by the way, 33 years old is still pretty young. I know you don't want to hear that either, but it's pretty young. Anonymous, thank you. I'll be praying for you. I really will. Here is another anonymous one uh, from our email inbox. Uh, Am I not saved if I'm finding it hard to love my wife like Jesus loves the church? We are unequally yoked, and I guess I feel a little resentment that she doesn't believe in my Jesus. I have been struggling with this for some time. Um, You know, this isn't a matter of whether or not you're saved, Anonymous. This is about um, spiritual maturity. This is about if your heart's really for Jesus or if it's just for you. You see, your wife, the woman that you married... I'm assuming you probably got married as unbelievers. You found Jesus and she hasn't. Well, this is about you wanting her in heaven so much that you're going to love her like Jesus loves the church. Now, we have to analyze what that means. How did Jesus love the church? He loved the church sacrificially. He loved the church by dying for her. Now, obviously, you're not going to die for your wife, but but the idea is to die to yourself. You've got to remember that she now becomes the focus of your ministry. And what that means is you've got to be a husband that shows her who Jesus really is. And when I read a question like this, I, I just keep thinking about feelings. Love isn't really real love, biblical love. God's love doesn't have anything to do with feelings. This is what you're going to do for Jesus because you love him. And if you can understand that, then what you do is you let your unsaved wife see what a blessing it is, what a benefit it is to have a man in her home who loves Jesus Christ. Serve her, love her. Uh, again, this doesn't have anything to do with feelings. This is a decision that's been made. Remember, you've got a promise to keep to Jesus. So you love her. And you don't entertain thoughts like this. This is a, the, the kind of thought that we need to take captive and make them obedient to the Lord. To, to the Lord. So, uh, again, this is, this is pretty selfish in focus. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to say, Lord, help me love her for you and for your glory. Now I'm going to share something personal, Anonymous, because Paula experienced exactly the same thing. Uh, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but Paula prayed for me for 13 years. 13 years. And I treated her horribly. I treated her... There's no excuse for the way I treated her. We even have... Paula was keeping her prayer journals during those years, and we've got all of the things that she was struggling with and praying for and crying out to God in in written form in her journals, and it is sh- shameful to me. It's embarrassing. Again, I don't do guilt because I've been saved, but but um, to, to see what I how I treated her. And in one of the areas that, that she would cry out to the Lord was about our physical life or our sex life. And um, I was obese. I certainly wasn't appealing to her. And she wrote in one of her journals that, that the idea of of making love to me was nauseating to her. Uh, I was so mean. I was so cruel. There just wasn't any reason why she would feel like doing it. And God asked her, answered the prayer. She wrote it down. God asked her, will you let me love Ron through you? And she had a decision to make. Am I going to give myself up for God? Not for Ron, but for God, for Jesus. And she made the decision that she was going to let Jesus use her. And again, 13 years later, I give my heart to Jesus. And we've been serving the Lord together now for uh, 31 years. Next month, it'll be 31 years. So, uh, Anonymous, you got to forget about you. This isn't about feelings. You got to resist all the lies of the enemy. You got to resist all temptation to get emotionally involved or in- invested with anybody else. Uh, this is just Jesus. You be kind. You serve her. You let her know that you're going to be uh, in a chair uh, every morning reading the Bible, and you'd love to to have her come out and 
let you read it to her. Um, let her know that you're praying for her. Uh, be a servant at home. Help her with the housework. Uh, prepare her a meal occasionally instead of expecting her to prepare a meal. Just show her what it's like to be married to Jesus. And I promise you the crowns that will be awaiting you will be wonderful. So I hope that helps. I'm not giving good news to people they want me. I think sometimes to say, oh, it's okay to stop. She's an unbeliever. She is the object of your ministry. Here is a question from Kevin from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Pastor Ron. Praying all is well. Kevin, all is well. Thank you. And please keep praying. I appreciate it. In reading the book of Psalms, Psalm 83, verse 3, this is according to the Christian Standard Bible. It reads, they devise clever schemes against your people. They conspire against your treasured ones. Verse 4, it says, they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. Question, is this a song or the enemies at one point who tried to wipe out God's chosen people? Thank you for taking my question. Kevin, this is one of, of the psalms that is called an imprecatory song. A psalm, rather, not song, a psalm. Um, and and uh, there are psalms. David will, will cry out for vengeance against his enemies. Uh, it's one place where my paraphrase is David says, I want to punch their teeth out. Um, but the imprecatory psalms are psalms that invoke judgment or calamity or call down curses upon enemies, those perceived as the enemies of God. So, um, this is a psalm where David is simply saying, um, Lord, protect our people. Protect our people. Um, in, in the first verse, I'll go back a little bit. He says, Oh God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet. Oh God, be not still. Look how your enemies um, are astir. How your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. And then they talk about destroying Israel. And and basically, they're just calling out to God for help. So these are Psalms. Now, they're, they're, they're foreign to our New Testament ears. But we always have to remember that the writers of these Psalms, they didn't have the person of the Holy Spirit living in them. Uh, they never heard Peter be told by Jesus, you have to forgive 70 times 7. So this is just the way it was. I got enemies coming against me. Lord, we're going to have to go out to battle, so so let's go finish them kind of thing. And that's all this is. So it's God's enemies who are plotting against Israel, God's people. And this is just a psalm uh, asking God not to give them success, but rather to defend and protect uh, his own people, the people of Israel. Thank you very much. The imprecatory Psalms, when I was a brand new believer, they confused me. I'm trying to think, well, how do we reconcile forgiveness with this? But that's part of the reason why we study. So, Kevin, thank you. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Pauline. She says, Jesus said that we're not to cast our pearls before swine. So when exactly do we stop sharing the gospel with people. Well, Pauline, I don't know that we ever stop sharing the gospel. We find other ways to do it. But the idea is when you're sharing with people and they don't want to hear what you've got to say, well, that's pretty much the sign to stop casting our pearls before swine. Now, we got to be careful. We don't want to say, okay, God said not to cast my pearls before swine. Uh, we, we want them to know God loves them. And in a case like that, usually my parting uh, salvo would be okay. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'll stop sharing with you. You don't want to hear it, but I'll never stop praying for you because God loves you so much. So my rule of thumb, Pauline, is that when people stop listening, I usually then stop sharing. I'm still nice to them. Uh, it's not like we write them off. Um, but um, you know what we need to do is use uh, the gifts that God has given us to go find people who will listen. And when people are, have already made up their mind, and, and Jesus, um, when he stopped casting his pearls before, before swine with the, with the religious leaders, he, he, before that he called them uh, uh, whitewashed tombs, he called them a brood of vipers, 
uh, they stopped listening, so he stopped sharing with them. But you'll also remember that he never stopped ministering, and he always was ministering to the people around him, providing for their needs. So, Pauline, stop talking when people stop listening. But remember, we don't take it personal. We don't get angry. We just remember that they are the object of God's love. And for some of us, and this goes for the first two questions that we had as well, um, God's love for difficult people already lives in our hearts. Romans 5, five says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. That same spirit that is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So what we do is we have enough faith to ask God to allow the love that he's poured into our hearts for difficult people in our lives. Anonymous for you, the wife that you don't feel like loving. God's love for her is in your heart. So it's not something you have to fake. It's not fake it till you make it. It's just you've got to have enough faith to, to take, make a, a love withdrawal from your heart toward her. The same thing is true for the people who um, sometimes we don't want to share with anymore because we're getting irritated with them. That's just honest. Jake says, Pastor, the man in Matthew 22 who was not wearing wedding clothes, does he represent lukewarm Christians who won't make it to heaven? No, Jake, not at all. Um, he represents... Uh, remember, Jesus is surrounded by Jews. They think they're uh, going to go to heaven because they're sons of Abraham. Jesus has told him repeatedly that there's no way to get to heaven except through him. And so the man without the wedding clothes is a man who in the parable is trying to get into heaven another way. Now, I want to make this really practical for you, Jake. Um, we run into people all the time. We say, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a good person. Or I try to live right. That's a, a man without wedding clothes. Uh, we can't do good enough, nor can we do enough good. And um, um, the, the man in Matthew 22 was holding on to Abraham or to the law of Moses as his ladder to get to heaven. And so Jesus, now it doesn't really mean that people are going to accidentally get there and they're going to have to be evicted. Jesus just in picture form He's saying, this is a man who, like so many of you Jews out there, remember at this point they were very close to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, there are people out there saying, we don't need him. We're sons of Abraham. Remember, they told Jesus, we know who our father is. They were basically accusing Jesus of being an illegitimate son. That That charge sort of plagued him his entire life. And um, uh, the result was, uh, Jesus says, no, I was holding a parable about the wedding banquet, and there was one person in there who tried to get in another way. And um, hands were laid on him, and he was gone. So there's no other way to get to heaven. You can't be good. You can't do more good than bad. You hope the good outweighs the bad. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a responsible citizen. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm a moral person. None of that matters. Because the standard for heaven is perfection. When you see the wedding clothes, the wedding clothes we know are the fine white linen of the saints. And the white linen, of course, represents cleansed sinners. Come, let us reason together, Isaiah said, though our sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And uh, that's the way we get into heaven. And the person that tries to get in, even if he or she would be a really, really nice person, an exceptional nice person, person. They're still guilty of sin, and there will be boundaries in heaven, and one of those boundaries of no sin permitted here, not any at all. And so there will be people who try, there are always people who try to get to heaven on their own terms, and Jesus is simply telling them a story that says, the only way you're going to get to heaven is on my terms. So Jake, that's what the uh, parable of the wedding banquet uh, and the man in without the wedding clothes represents. Thank you for the question. Anita, I better not take that one. I think we're inside of two minutes. Uh, Leo says this, praying in public, even with my wife, makes me nervous. It's like prayer is too private to share. Is that okay? No, it's really not okay, uh, Leo. Uh, what we've got to do is we've got to remember, uh, sometimes I think we over 
spiritualized prayer. Um, when you're praying, you're just talking to your best friend, Jesus, who happens also to be God. Now, you need to pray with your wife, and you need to pray for your wife. And let me be very blunt here. The two of you have seen each other with no clothes. So how can you be nervous praying? I mean, all the, 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 the barriers ought to be dropped and, and, and uh, exposing yourself to your wife, uh, the inner you, uh, is a beautiful gift that you can give to her. And the same thing is true the other way around. Praying in public, you know, just, just talk to Jesus. I think so often we hear people praying and their voice changes, the cadence of their speech changes, uh, the, the, the type of words they use change. Just talk Jesus like you would talk to anybody else. And so, Leo, if it makes you nervous, it's probably pride. You think you're going to pray wrong. If you're talking to Jesus with a heart that's right with God, there's no possible way that you can pray wrong. So let God stretch you. He's got something for you. And let him do this work. Every husband and wife ought to be praying together constantly. We've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show. The phones are quiet, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Now I can get to Anita's question. How do we discern God's voice when the Bible doesn't specifically deal with the issue we are asking about? This is the like bazillion dollar question, Anita, that we all want to know. Um, we discern God's voice in the Word. Now, I realize your whole question is about, well, what if the Bible didn't specifically deal with the issue? Uh, when you're reading His living and active Word, it means his word will meet you where you are when you need to be. James says that if we lack wisdom, ask God, and he who gives it generously will give us wisdom. God wants us to know things. However, and Anita, I don't know you, but this is one of those things that we have to really examine our hearts. Um, most of the time, we want to know everything specifically. And God says, no, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to walk by faith. I always believed when I first got saved, I thought, you know, I, I don't know what you want me to do, God. I can't wait till I'm finally mature enough to, to know exactly what you want and I'll hear your voice so clearly. That time never comes, Anita. Because as you mature in the Lord, as you get to know him better, he wants you to respond by faith. And if your heart is right, and this is a hard thing, if your heart is right, you don't have to be right. Do what God puts on your heart to do. And if you take that step of faith and all you want to do is to honor him uh, with that step of faith, I promise you, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So I think we need to stop expecting that we're going to know everything specifically. And uh, Anita, as somebody who's, who's taken lots of steps of faith, uh, very seldom have I ever had God say, okay, this is the right way. Do this, do that, or do that. Um, but what he lets me know is that he's with me. And he's with me because I'm with him. And then my trust is in him and not in the decision-making process. And by the way, Anita, um, this is a great way for husbands and wives to walk together. Sometimes... Paul and I will just put our heads together. We will pray about something. And we will do what we think God wants us to do. And I'm sure we've been wrong sometimes. However, um, when we've been wrong and if our hearts are right, God protects us. We need to understand that this this idea that we have about throwing out fleeces or God giving us specific messages about something. A lot of walking by faith is just 
being out there and following Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, you can never be in the wrong place. So if you're talking about, should I get this new job? Should I move? Um, Should we buy this or should we buy that? Um, um, Those are the questions that God wants you to learn to deal with according to faith based on what you know to be true about God's character and nature. And it really boils down to this one thing, Anita. Do you want to know what God wants you to do for his glory alone? Not for what you want to do. Um, If you can say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done at the end of that prayer, um, Jesus is going to be pleased. Uh, This is also, Anita, a good time to exercise the gift of tongues. I don't know if you have the gift of tongues, but it would be a really good opportunity for you to ask God for the gift because, God, I want to honor you. I want my my relationship with you to be edified personally. And Anita, he'll let you know. I can tell people say, well, how do you know this is God's will? We're about to to talk about a, a big step of faith here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm going to talk about it on Sunday's message. And people say, well, how do you know for sure? Um, You know what? We'll find out. That's what faith, walking by faith is all about. And I hope that makes sense to you, Anita. But if you are in God's word, uh, he will meet you in the word. Uh, If you're married, make sure that you and your husband are in agreement and you're seeking the same answer and you're walking on one page or or on one, one accord. And if you're not married, well, then just Make sure that you want what God wants for you and nothing more, nothing less. Let's go to Tanya in California, San Leandro. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How are you guys doing? Hi. We're doing well. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm, I'll be home uh, next week, so I'll see you on Wednesday night. Um, oh, bless your heart. Looking forward to seeing you. Can't wait Good. to see you. Um, I had a question, Papa. So, you know, reading in Hebrews 11, and, and I noticed that, you know, we talked about the giants of faith that, uh, that God talks about in, in the scriptures there. And I was thinking about Rahab. And, and if you could give me a little bit, uh, I know that, you know, where, where she hid the, um, the spies. Um, what was their belief in, in Jericho? And then secondly, in, in one of the verses, let me find the verse, um, she says, uh, let's see, where she said, okay, it says in verse, this is uh, Hebrew, Joshua 2, um, let's see, verse 9, um, and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. So is it an unhealthy fear or a healthy fear she's talking about? Because I, I know we have, we're to have a healthy fear of the Lord, and I understand that, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, a little confused with... Um, was she just so scared because she had heard what happened, and so she's like, "Well, let me get on the right side." Or, or um, so I'm interested in in her and 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 what yeah. we kind of know about her, and okay. and taking that faith, making some action, and and protecting the spies, and saved her household, and through her, we know came the uh, Jesus as well. So I'm just curious about the the fear aspect of that, Papa. If that's just like a, I'm so scared because I heard what happened. And if that brings me to Jesus, okay. And do you find, as a pastor, when people who who come to know Jesus are scared, you know, I don't want to go to hell, so, or do you find that most people, a lot of people are more like, I understand the loving God and why I should serve him. So do you kind of see a little bit of, of both people who are just afraid? <laughs> and, wow. uh, you know, can that, does that make sense? Yeah, it's. Yeah, it does, and it's a great question. Um, and we, I always say, I say all the time, motive is everything, and uh, and we've got to really examine our motives. Thank you for that, Tanya. Uh, a couple of things: um, the, the fear of God um, isn't isn't for the believer. It's not a fear of being with Him. It's a fear of being without Him. It's a fear of understanding our own limitations. Uh, in in Rahab's case. Um, uh, th- there was two fears that she was talking about, really. Uh, the-, the first fear was the fear that she saw in the people, the people behind the walls of Jericho. Now, they were Canaanites, so so uh, this was the first battle in the Promised Land. And um, uh, they were they were pagans. They did horrible things. They sacrificed children. They had multiple gods. And all of a sudden, 
because of Israel's presence, this dread, this fear that was sent from God fell on them, and they all realized. Now, remember, Israel hasn't fought a battle yet. They, got, they don't have a bad reputation, but people are afraid of them. And they're afraid of them because God has done this. And that means inside the city of Jericho, this fortified city, people were talking about the Israelites are coming. There's millions of people. And, and, and we know their God, what he did in Egypt. Remember, one of the purposes of the judgments in Egypt was to, to, to let the world know that the, the God of, of, of Moses really is God. And so now, all these years later, they're, they're uh, together crossing the Jordan River and and uh, God caused a fear to fall upon them. And Rahab simply recognized that everyone was afraid because they thought that Israel was going to overtake them. And, of course, that's what happened. Rahab would also be afraid, and that would be the, the one thing that, that would move her to ask for uh, for her family to be saved. And that's where they gave her the red robe or, or the, the red cord put this on your house, and she welcomed the spies. But there was an action, too. Um, her fear um, led her to do what she knew was right. Um, she took the Israeli spies, the spies and um, she, she lied about them. She welcomed them and protected them, and God honored her step of faith. And, of course, we know that Rahab appears in the lineage of Jesus. It's an amazing thing. So what we've got is we've got a woman who the fear of God was such that she was moved by faith. Now, let me address the, the, the question that you asked about people who come to faith because they don't, want to live, they don't want to go to hell. God doesn't really care, Tanya, uh, what people's motives might be for, um, for, for coming to him. He just wants them to come. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon wrote that. And so uh, if somebody says, well, I just don't want to go to hell, well, then the alternative is you must meet Jesus. Now, they can't then um, meet Jesus and continue to, to walk in fear because that's when we begin our walk by faith. And so, um, again, the motive that we come to Jesus doesn't really matter. Uh, typically, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Paul writes to the Romans. Uh, but I've met a lot of people over the years who just realized that they were going to hell and they didn't want to do that. And that, too, is the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And so when somebody comes and says, well, I just don't want to go to hell, I say, well, here's how you avoid going to hell. That's the work the Holy Spirit has done to give them a healthy fear of God and a fear of judgment. And a lot of those people have turned into wonderfully fruitful Christians uh, who now love Jesus with all of their heart. In fact, um, uh, he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. And some of the people who didn't just, I don't want to go to hell, I know I'm going to hell. Some of those people, because they've been forgiven so much, they love much. And I think that's that's uh, the idea. Rahab was great. Um, usually people talk about her lying, but she didn't lie because of her faith. She lied because she had weak faith, brand new faith. She she didn't know God. Um, and yet, um, she because of a fear of God, she was moved to do the right thing or respond the right way. What a great question, Tanya. Thank you very, very much. I look forward to seeing you. I miss you. Give my love to Carlos and Marcus, please. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Leticia says, what is meant by churches who say they're a five-fold ministry church? Leticia, what they mean by that in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the gifts God has given to the church, says to some he gave uh, apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, and evangelists, evangelists, pastors and teachers. I heard the order wrong. And so uh, some of these churches, usually they're overly charismatic churches who say, but we have all, the, we, ours is a five-fold ministry. We have apostles and we have prophets and we have evangelists and we have pastors and we have teachers in our church. Um, but, but that's a, a, a poor understanding 
of what the verse actually says. It's actually not five ministry gifts. It's four. Pastors, teachers is one in the original Greek. So um, they don't understand that. They also have forgotten what they read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where we're told that the apostles and the prophets, that gift given by God to the church, that was the foundation of the church that was laid in the past. And what that means, Leticia, is that any church or any Christian that claims to be an apostle or claims to have apostles in the case of a church or claims to be a prophet or claims to have prophets uh, in the church, um, they are by definition, aberrant in their operation because there are no more apostles and there are no more prophets. We don't need prophets. That foundation has already been laid. All of the other gifts, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, those gifts are in the, in, in the, the, the present imperative tense. And, and it says those gifts are building the church on the foundation that's already been laid. So the foundation that's laid, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, uh, no one can lay any foundation other than the one laid by Jesus Christ. So that's what they mean. Unfortunately, Leticia, those are usually unbalanced and often out of control churches. Um, and sometimes they can be quite domineering. You know, when somebody says, I'm an apostle um, in, in uh, 2022, um, they're, they're putting themselves in the position really of, of the Apostle Paul and, and abuse runs rampant in those things. So, Leticia, I hope that makes sense to you. It should be a fourfold ministry, but remember, those are gifts given to the church, not individual churches. In the individual churches, while we're still doing the work, we're still building the church, that would only be evangelists and pastors and teachers. Thank you. Here's a question from Raymond. He says, uh, Pastor, and what are your thoughts on repeating the Lord's Prayer? Um, Raymond, Jesus talked about repetition, vain repetition, he calls it. Now, the Lord's Prayer, it's his model for prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. He was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. And he gave them an outline. And that's the thing that we need to understand. This isn't the prayer that we just repeat. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, We don't just keep repeating that. There's no virtue or value in simply repeating uh, those lines. But what happens, Raymond, when you pray that prayer? And, and what I would ask you to do is, is just line by line, um, pray that prayer, and then think about what that means. Our Father. I can just stop right there. Is he really your Father? Are you really saved? Are you born again through Jesus Christ? Who's your art in heaven? What that means is that he is above the judgments in this world. He's the one in sovereign control of the things going on in this earth. So because he's there, then we need to set our mind and our hearts on things above. And what that means is when things get a little frightening here, and, and, and this is how you sort of fill in the blanks of this outline, um... Lord, I don't need to be worried about the things that are going on here. I can trust you because you are above those things. You see the end from the beginning. And those are just two examples. You can do that on every line. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, we can use that to say, Lord, I, I just I just want what I, what I need. I don't ask for excess. I don't ask uh, for more than you think I need. Uh, I, I just I want to be content, Lord, with having what I need and nothing more. So those that's the way the Lord's Prayer is to be used. Let me say one more thing about this, Raymond. Um, the first time I taught this in San Antonio, Texas, um, um, I, I, I worked on it for a long time. And uh, during the pre- pre- preparation for that Bible study, um, it, it, it radically changed my prayer life. And as I taught it, and I went through it very, very slowly with our church, as I taught it, it radically changed the prayer lives of so many in our church. And you know you're praying in the will of God, and you know you're going to get answers to those prayers. 
So, Raymond, don't repeat it. Now, keep reading it, but read it slowly. Take some time to think through exactly what it is you're saying. Again, there's no value or virtue in just the repetition. And I think when we talk about praying our Father, the Our Father, um, you know, that's just vain repetition. And again, there's there's no value. But if you just use it as an outline and let the Holy Spirit lead your prayers, I promise you it will change your prayer life. Thank you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Kay. She says, I am COVID-weary. Is it a sin not to want to wear masks or get a vaccine? Um, Kay, I think everybody who is in their right mind is COVID-weary. This is one of those things that we're going to have to learn to live with. We can't escape it. You know, I know so many people who barricaded themselves in their homes. They didn't go out. They always wore masks. I know people that wore masks even in their own homes when they were quarantined. Um, how, who, who wouldn't get weary of that? But the thing is, the minute you come out, and you've got to come out at some point, everybody's going to get this. Uh, this new strain, the Omicron, is so contagious. Um, and, and we've had it going through the church, and I think everybody's had it going through uh, their churches, but it's also going through your places of employment. It's going through uh, any restaurant that you would go to, uh, any activity. If there's going to be people around, you can't avoid this. That's how contagious it is. What we've got to do is learn that this is a virus, like so many others, that's not going to go away. So we have to learn to live with it. And we need not be afraid. Now, nobody wants to get sick. When I say this, people get frustrated with me, but I'm afraid of getting sick and I don't want to die. Well, I think the the sensationalism of the media, the government, the response, uh, our our civic leaders, uh, it's it's insane to to try to take a world and shut it down. In fact, in in some states, uh, I'm so grateful to God that we live in Texas. But in some states, in fact, a lot of states, uh, people are still so afraid. They're trying to hide out. They're, um, it's just, if you're not vaccinated, they treat you like a pariah. Um, keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, it is not a sin not to want to wear masks. Now, I'll tell you what I do. If somebody, uh, if I need to go someplace and they want me to wear a mask in their place of business or somebody else in their home, I'll do that. I'll do it because I'm in their home. You know, sometimes we go, we've got a lot of Asian uh, people in our church. And you open the door and there's a whole entryway of shoes. <laughs> and it's very clear that they want you to take your shoes off before you go in. Well, I wouldn't. It'd be rude for me to insist on wearing shoes in their house. So if I go to their house, I play by their rules. I don't like wearing a mask. But in it's their house. They get to make the rules. If it's a place of business, if I want to go there then I'll abide by their rules. I just think that's what Christians ought to do. With regard to getting the vaccine, it's certainly not a sin not to not to get vaccinated. Uh, the sin that's happened in this whole vaccination process, Kay, has been uh, the sin of, of government and then other people who are simply going to do whatever the government tells them. They, they're, they're sufficiently afraid uh, that they'll look at you like, you're the cause of all this because you're unvaccinated. Um, that's the sin. Um, so if you don't want to get a vaccination, that's between you and God. Um, it is unconscionable that our government uh, at any level would require vaccinations. I was reading in the news uh, just yesterday and today a follow-up that um, the, the deadline is now passed all school children in California must be vaccinated. How can a responsible parent do that to their child? And I know a lot of people that are struggling with it. So it's not a sin. What would be a sin, Kay, is to let your COVID weariness force you into having a hard heart toward other people who don't believe as you do. 
You know, I have not said one negative thing to people about uh, their vaccination. They were vaccinated. God bless them. They did what was right for them and for their family. And Christians, um, Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything not of faith is sin. And so what we need to do is is allow them the freedom, joyfully allow them the freedom to do what they feel led by God to do. At the same time, we should be able to expect that those who are not vaccinated, we can give them the same liberty. We can joyfully accept their decision as well. Um, this whole lines being drawn in this world that we live in, I expect that in the world. I certainly don't expect it in church between Christians. And we got Christians taking shots at Christians. So it just, it's just not the kind of behavior that any Christian should be guilty of. So keep your COVID weariness to yourself. It's okay to talk to Jesus about it. Um, if you don't want to wear a mask, then don't go places where the mask is required. And if you don't want to be vaccinated, don't get a vaccination. And just trust that God is going to be okay. and He's going to protect you and the people around you. The one thing that I want to, I'll close with because we're running out of time, is one thing that is completely clear with this new strain of uh, Omicron, is that people who are vaccinated are just as likely to be infected with the virus as people who are not vaccinated. So what's the point? Hope that makes sense to you, Kay. We'll be praying. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow with Paula at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.